We talk a lot about trans characters on this show, but what about trans textuality? Is it possible for an entire text to be trans? I think so. And one of my favorite examples of this is the curious case of the Chocolate Soldier, a 1908 operetta that had a lot to say about masculinity. But more than that, it's truly a trans text, meaning it's a text that inhabits and has inhabited many different forms and formats during its relatively short life in the public. Here's a bit of background. In 1894, George Bernard Shaw's play Arms and the Man was first performed on Broadway, so successfully that it was redone to death in the years to follow, including a 1908 all-female production at Smith College. That same year, 1908, the composer Oscar Strauss, with the help of his librettist Leopold Jacobson, sought Shaw's permissions to turn the anti-war farce into a light comic operetta. But Shaw was not a fan of that format, which he, like so many others at the time, considered frivolous and silly. But he would allow the play to be adapted under a few conditions. First, not a single word of dialogue from the original play, including character names, could be used. Second, the operetta must be advertised as a arms-in-the-man parody, not an adaptation. And Shaw himself could take no money from the production. What remained, then, was really only the title, taken from Shaw's play as an expression denoting a soldier who looked good in the clothes and could play the role of the hero, but was basically useless. The Chocolate Soldier, the operetta, was a wild success. And if anyone cared too much about its departure from the Shaw play and its erasure of its pacifist themes, they kept fairly quiet about it. Because Strauss and his librettists had, by being denied the ability to adapt the play, been forced to create an entirely new work, with something different to say about wartime and masculinity. To tell the truth I never knew, there were heroes such as you. Really, I am not unsightly. But you act most impolitely. To tell the truth you will not do, heroes never were like you. Now I know you're only chappy. Such a soldier sets me laughing. <laughs> the Chocolate Soldier concerns the exploits of Lieutenant Boomerly, a Swiss mercenary working for the Serbian army during the Serbo-Bulgarian War of the 1880s. One night, trying to escape gunfire, he climbs in through the window of Nadina Popov, the young Bulgarian daughter of a general who's off at war, leaving his wife, daughter, and her cousin unattended. Nadina and Boomerly strike up a friendship based entirely around nagging. A soldier is brave, sir. That am I. Two ladies are slaves, sir. That am I. His foes all affrighting, his sweetheart delighting. I have fright, I delight. A soldier must fight, sir. And he must. Be he wrong or right, sir. I am just. His sword he draws first, so for blood he does thirst, sir. I am first, and I thirst. I am. In battle I'm a soldier brave. Oh, yes, a chocolate soldier man. She makes fun of the quote-unquote chocolate soldier for literally not giving a shit about war, 
to the point of actually keeping chocolates in his ammunition bag instead of bullets for his gun. And he makes fun of her for playing a role she's clearly faking, pretending to be in love with this big war hero who Boomerly knows to be a coward. See, Nadina is engaged to Alexius, a Bulgarian major who loves to brag about his wartime exploits and flaunt his masculinity. seen how things go down on the front knows the truth, which is essentially the thesis of the whole play. That concepts like bravery, the nobility of war and masculinity being defined by strength and wartime prowess and bravery are essentially bullshit. That's what's cool and radical about this play. It's making fun of gender roles and ideas about war and marriage and just about every other heterosexual institution you can think of, while still keeping them firmly in place. When Boomerly first enters Nadina's bedroom, she chides him for being a coward and running away from the fighting. But when the Bulgarians come looking for him, she hides him, risking her reputation and her impending marriage to Alexius. Because this is a time in history when being a woman alone in a room with a man is cause enough for scandal. Nadina successfully shields Boomerly from harm and introduces him to her mother and cousin, who are also charmed by him. They love having a random kind of femme guy around the house, and they're genuinely entertained by Boomerly's ideas. The women help him escape, and Nadina lends him her father's coat, slipping a picture of herself inside the pocket. Which, again, is considered an extremely slutty move in 1880 for whatever reason. When Act 2 opens, it's six months later and the war is over. The men are coming home, including Nadina's father and her pompous fiancé. But as they return, so does Boomerly who wants to give back the clothes he took from the house. This creates a whole kerfuffle, as you might imagine. Nadina, about to marry the obnoxious Alexius, realizes she really loves Boomerly, and Boomerly, who knows Alexius to be an actual coward despite his boasting, tries to get her to call it off. And it does get called off. After Alexius finds the telltale photo of Nadina in the coat pocket, after which he makes a big show of feeling betrayed before quickly realizing he actually likes Nadina's cousin better than her, Nadina and Boomerly get together and the curtain falls. She's found her hero, but not before learning some harsh truths about masculinity and how fucking made up it is. Consider how Nadina reacts when her fiancé comes back from the front. When I say I'll marry you, must I be delighted? Should I say you will not do, then you are benighted. Or what Boomerly says about fighting. <laughs> I, I hate to take these precautions, but, you know, if I'm caught, it'd be certain death. Well, some soldiers are not afraid to die. I'm not afraid to die. I'm petrified. I feel shy. 
shaking with fear quaking why all the fuss that you are making noble soldier tell me Or what Nadina says about Boomerly's brand of heroism. You can see how in 1908, despite the play's patent sexism and dated attitudes about gender, the idea of a cowardly soldier was kind of exciting. For so long, men had defined themselves by their relation to wartime bravery and the ability to protect the home. And here was this guy cracking wise, chain-eating chocolates out of an ammunition bag, and calling out toxic dudes lying about how many people they killed. Boomerly, per a hilariously sexist 1908 New York Times review, quote, attacks women on their strongest side, love, and men on their weakest side, valor, end quote. He was able to occupy the highly gendered spaces of the warfront and the home with equal skill, but the most important thing about Boomerly is that he thinks for himself. He doesn't seem to consider himself Nadina's superior or protector, but her equal. In their main duet, in fact, Sympathy, he sings about the thing he wants most from her. Not her respect or her love, necessarily, but for her to just give a shit about whether he lives or dies. He's not trying to earn his masculinity by being brave or macho. He's a survivalist, and he tells it like it is. And in a world of absurdly macho idiots, that makes him a refreshing and extremely modern character, with or without the relationship to the Shaw play. But there's even more to the story than that. In addition to the weirdness of the chocolate soldier's journey of adaptation, it would continue to be extremely weirdly adapted and used for decades. In 1941, for instance, because of Shaw's saltiness about not getting any of the proceeds from the hugely successful operetta, MGM tried to make a film of the play, but was blocked by Shaw. Instead, they just used the title The Chocolate Soldier to tell a completely different story, that of the Frank Molnar play The Guardsman, another comedy of masculinity bearing very little resemblance otherwise to the Strauss play. Before that, in 1921, Shaw had once again cock-blocked a musical version of Pygmalion due to his hatred of the Chocolate Soldier. The songwriting team Lerner and Lowe were only able to make My Fair Lady, the extremely trans Pygmalion musical, after Shaw's death. What I'm getting at is that there are layers here, and those layers, I think, add to the richness of what the Chocolate Soldier is saying. Sure, maybe it's not Arms in the Man, but it didn't need to be. Because the operetta, precisely because it was meant to be a sort of fan fiction of Shaw's work, reached the masses. There was no intellectual barrier to seeing and enjoying and understanding this show. Surprisingly radical, as well as traditional, things to say about gender. 
It was a light comedy. It was for everybody. And that's exactly why it was looked down on for so long. It's a show that's meant a lot to me for a long time. I listen to the 1950s recording with Robert Merrill and Risa Stevens a lot. There are lyrics that, despite their simplicity, I find very moving and freeing. For instance, My life is sweet, I hold it All death is gruesome, and I love beyond all measure My life, therefore, I treasure I love to live and live to know So do not care to go During a particularly dark time in my life, I was listening to The Chocolate Soldier on repeat, along with David Berman's final album, Purple Mountains. In 2019, I was going through a lot, and I had to leave LA to move back to Massachusetts to live with my parents again, which was pretty awful. For my whole life, I told myself that my self-hatred came from the fact that I wasn't successful or famous, and that once I was those things, I could have permission to like myself. But to be having yet another mental breakdown at age 31, living in my childhood room and working yet another horrible barista job, being successful by any measure felt really far away. A lot has happened since that time, but I think the most important thing for me was the ability to let go of the idea that I had to prove my worth. That I had to be successful or fancy or independent or get a lot of big bylines in order to be a person who was worthy of staying alive. For so long, striving for success kept me going, but it was never enough to make me feel okay with who I actually was, or masculine enough for my own taste. I think there was something about learning about a soldier who was kind of shitty at his job and didn't really care, and basically just lived to fuck around, spoke to me. Because as we all know, you don't have to be successful or famous or a war hero in order to be a man. You don't need to be any of those things to have value and worth. But for too many of us, it takes a very long time to figure that out. There are so many layers to a show that starts as an adaptation, then becomes fan fiction, then becomes another adaptation, then a byword, and then its own thing entirely. It inhabits many skins and takes many forms, but the meaning remains the same. There's no wrong way to be a man or a woman, as long as you're honest with yourself about who you are deep down. Totally Trans Minisodes is a production of the Totally Trans Podcast Network. You can find us on Patreon at Patreon backslash Totally Trans and on Twitter at Totally Trans Pod. 